Good morning. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is Colossians 1, 15 to 17, which is on page 9. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the word of the Lord. Over here in the book of Colossians, where we'll be for a while. And if you notice that above your notes there, it says this series is called Community in Christ, how Colossians actually informs our life together and what it looks like for us to be within the gospel. And what takes place at this moment in this letter to the churches, those gathered bodies, is they begin to have a conversation. Paul has been leading them to a place. He's been telling them what his prayer is. And it's just almost as if he says, and just to be clear, I want you to know the Jesus that we're talking about. So just to be clear, I want you to know who Christ is and who I am actually speaking about. Because within that church, within those gatherings of people, there were those who were telling them of another Jesus. There were those who were saying, yeah, Jesus is good, but there's other things that we should be paying attention to as well. Yes, Jesus is good and great and maybe even a good man, but, but are you worshiping angels? We'll get to that later on in the book. Are, are you worshiping other things that are just as powerful or maybe even more so? And here, Paul says, I just want to be clear who I'm talking about. But instead of putting in a, a theological treatise, instead of putting in a, a, a thing that would be like uh, point A and then point B and point C, is he drops a hymn on them. A, a song. Now, we don't know if Paul wrote this originally. We don't know if it was an early Christian hymn that had been written by multiple people who were working it out together as they were gathering, reminding each other of who Christ was. We don't know if it was even perhaps a hymn about some other Roman or Greek god that Paul takes and remakes and renews. But what we do know is that God, in his grand purpose, wanted it to be in this letter. And not just for the people in Colossae, but for all people, for all time, in all space. And how great it is that we have this hymn. Now this hymn is pretty theologically deep as well. <laughs> so even though he doesn't put this sort of theological sort of treatise out there, when we get into the nature of the hymn, we begin to say, oh, this is huge. Now you notice we're only actually taking a little bit of the hymn today, and then next week we're going to take a little bit more of the hymn, and then we'll have a break, because I will be at Maybelle, and there will be somebody else here preaching for the Westminster Presbyterian Church Pastor Pulpit Swap. And then when we come back, we're going to spend one more day on this particular hymn. And how it really 
helps us have a way of engaging with Scripture and with the world that we live in today. So today we're just looking at the first couple of verses, but just so you know the context, can I read the whole thing to you? It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of, over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Amen. Michael Burr, who's a academic from Sydney, he actually is now living in the States for a little bit, in his commentary about this particular passage, he says this rich tapestry of highly poetic and poignant Christology, or Christ imagery, is set forth in order to persuade the Colossians of the sufficiency and the supremacy of the Messiah over all of creation and make him the exclusive agent of salvation. He says this, the issue is far more than just is Jesus God or is he only quasi-divine. More appropriately, it asks the place Jesus occupies in the cosmological order in relation to God. This poem is deployed here to aid in creating a universe that is defined chiefly by Christ. All of this, he says, in a short piece of primitive Christian hymnal. Now, when I was growing up, I liked to create worlds. Some of those worlds I created in my head. But I was lucky enough to have parents buy me toys that were action figure type toys. They were Fisher Price. And I would go to my front of my room where the door was that you entered into the room. And I had this little futon chair that folded out into a little bed. But I could put it up and make it look like it was a wall. And so I would create this little wall there. And then I, I would get over the wall, and I would go in with all of my action figures and all of the things that they had, and I would take my entire room, and I would build it into a world. And in that world, then, I would then go and step back over the wall, and I would sit there for hours imagining the world moving, how I would control it, what was happening, what was taking place. I didn't have any friends. It's <laughs> not true. It's sort of true. Uh, in this passage, we see Jesus being called the Creator. Now, all of the little toys, they rely on me for their movement, their placement, where they would be. 
And Paul goes even further and says, not only is he the creator, he is also the sustainer. He is the one that, in fact, keeps things going. Look at that passage again. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So first, let's deal with that idea of image of God. Indeed, God in Christ shows himself completely. God to them is far off and not understood. He is invisible. We don't encounter God in that way. However, he says, Jesus is the one who makes him completely visible. That in beholding Jesus, we see all of who God is. Jesus is the same likeness of God, the same form of God. He is also the beginning of all humanity because he is the creator. And he is the one who reveals God to us as humans. And then it says he is the firstborn of all creation. Now understanding that word firstborn is not saying that he was first created or the first created one. It is saying that he is the source, the wellspring, the one that in which creation comes from. That it is because of him that creation is born. And so if you're familiar with the story in Genesis 1 and 2 where God is creating the world, we recognize that the very Trinity is present in that place. That God is speaking his world into existence and the one who is making that happen is Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is present, hovering, sustaining, showing light forth in that. And then when he comes to creating humanity, he says this, let us make them in our image. God revealing himself as three in one, but recognizing in that moment that Jesus is the one, the agent of that creation. In your worship booklets, I've put extra readings in there. One of them is John 1, 1 through 14. Just listen to this hymn that John puts here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him is life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Skip down to verse 14, and it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's in this moment that we begin to recognize that Jesus, being the Word of God made flesh, is the one who is creator and sustainer of the universe around us. That in fact, because of Jesus and the way that he's created the world and the way that he holds it together, we move away from chaos that was existent before the world began into cosmos, ordered and defined. Made why? Well, it tells us there, doesn't it? That he is the firstborn of all creation. What? For him, all things were created. For who? For Jesus. All things were created. Not only is Jesus the creator and the sustainer, he is also the recipient. The one who holds on to it and treats it as a beautiful gift that it is. As the Father said, let's make them in 
my images. He spoke night and day and land and animals. He was doing it knowing that Jesus, the incarnate word, would be present. And because of that, he would bring salvation. And so he longs for us to know that he holds it all together. And so what does that mean to us? T.S. Eliot put it this way in a poem called Burnt Notions. He calls Jesus, sort of alluding to Jesus here, whether we know T.S. Eliot becomes a believer, the still point of a turning world. Abraham Kuyper says this and puts it this way. No single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. That is the sustainer and creator of the world. It was made for him, and so he holds it together. He brought it forth, but it is also his, so he is able to say, mine. Now, as we navigate the world today, as we walk in this place, as we see things stumble and fall, as we see brokenness enter in, as we begin to recognize the effect of sin on the fall going over and over and over again, it is lovely for us to know that the Creator and Sustainer and the one that this world was made for is ever working, is ever present, is ever moving in order to bring creation to what it is supposed to be. That it will cry forth, as Roman tells us, as it longs for the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. And so when we begin to interact with the world today, we can go into it knowing that when brokenness happens, God is still in control. That when hope seems lost, God still is on his throne because Christ is the creator and sustainer of this world. That at the moment that Christ, if he ever decided to let it go, it would spin into chaos. And some of us can look at the world and kind of go, it's pretty chaotic already. No. It could be much, much worse. The glory of God shines forth in the world over and over and over again. And so the first thing that we do when we encounter that is we praise God. We say, holy, holy, holy are you, Jesus. And knowing that you are creator and sustainer, it can bring us hope. But more than that, it enables us to engage the world differently. See, too often we look at the world and we either want to run away from it because it's so broken, or we want to worship it because it's so beautiful. A desire to save the world, to keep it going, is not a bad thing, but when it becomes the ultimate thing, we miss who the creator and sustainer is. So what are we supposed to do with this creation that we live in, that was made for Jesus? The first thing we need to do is we need to experience it. We actually need to experience the world in which we live in. 
I intentionally say experience because I don't just want to say enjoy. Although it would be much easier to say enjoy the world. Let's just enjoy the world. However, we know the world is filled with things that are not enjoyable. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't experience them. That doesn't mean that we won't have to experience them. And so we are not those as those who are living in community, those who are resting in the grace that God has given us, those who are actually in Christ, the one who created and sustains, and which creation was made for. For us, we experience the world in a way that is different. So when we taste something that is good, we can say, that is good. And when we experience something that is bad, we can say that's bad because it goes against the order of creation. The way that God intended it to be when Christ created it. And so as we begin to experience the world, we also recognize then that we're called to steward the world. We are those that are supposed to care for this creation. Because it is an agony calling out for the redemptions of the sons and daughters. So those of us who are in Christ, who are walking in the gospel, should be first foot forward in how we steward and care for the resources that the world provides for us. Now there's a danger here. Because our cause can become our God. And we have to be careful with that. Because we know ultimately that the one who sustains the world is the one who is going to renew the world. That he's the one that's going to bring about his entrance, his word, that rectifies and brings in and redeems all of his children, and in that moment, the world will be made new. The promise of the Bible is a new heaven and a new earth. But while we're here on this one, before it's made new, because we want people to experience it, then we must steward it. We must use its resources properly. We must be those who are aware when we are overusing our resources. Now, before you think that might be some sort of political statement, understand that it's not. I actually don't quite have a game, a, a, a dog in that fight. You can come to my house and find that out very easily. But what I am saying is this. We should be aware of that. We should be thinking, what am I doing that causes the destruction of the world even more? And is there something I can change? And then you actually might be called by the Holy Spirit to do something more. And that's okay too. But that's not for everybody within the kingdom. And so don't sit back and go, oh, you're not doing enough, or you're doing too little. Or you're doing way too much. You've become radicalized. In relationship, you'll know that. And in that relationship, you can work together to determine what is God calling us to do, both individually and corporately. And why is that important? Why is it important for us to experience the world and know its beauty and its hardness? Why is it important for us to steward the world? Because we know that the world is a place where we learn about God. 
creation to learn from as well. We learn from it as we're reminded in Romans. As Paul is getting ready to start his great book, this letter that is going forth to encourage the church that he'd never been in, much like this church in Colossians. And he reminds them of this in verse 19 of chapter 1. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That we are in this creation that is created by God, sustained through Christ, and made for him in order for us to see God's great qualities. But in God's good graciousness, he knows that we will miss it. And so he says, more so, let me send Christ. So you get a taste of who God is by looking at creation. But if you want the whole bite, the full meal, then you look to Jesus. That's why it's important for you to be gathered together with those who follow Jesus. That's why it's important for you to be in the Word, because it is the Word that reveals to us who Jesus is. It's why it's important for us to even take this in and hide it in our hearts so that we are reminded that creation only gets me so far. And I want to see Jesus. And he is made manifest completely to us through the Word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. N.T. Wright says this about the Lord. It is beautiful, powerful, and sweet because Christ made it like that. When the lavishness and generous beauty of the world makes you catch your breath, remember that it is like that because of Jesus but it's also full of ugliness and evil, summed up in death itself. Yes, that's true too. But that wasn't the original intention, and the living God has now acted to heal the world of the wickedness and corruption which has so radically infected it. And he's done so through the same one through whom it was made in the first place. This is the point of the balance of this whole poem. The Jesus through whom the world was made in the first place is the same Jesus whom the world has now been redeemed. He is the firstborn of all creation and the firstborn from the dead. Next week we'll dig even deeper into that. Let me pray for us. God, let us hear your words and know that they are yours. If they're not your words, let them burn up and go away. And when they are your words, let them lead us to deeper knowledge of your love for us so that we can do the things you have created for us to do before the beginning of creation. It is in your goodness, Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.